Mission Creep, fresh and frank voices in global development. I felt like smashing my glasses today. I just want You have a true friend down under. Welcome back to another episode of Mission Creep, fresh and frank voices in global development. My name is Brendan Rigby and I welcome you back and thanks for being here with us. I'm joined this week by a special guest star. Carly Stefan is off in Fiji enjoying the warm weather and beaches. Leah Davies is the co-founder of Paper Planes Connect and after two years living in London has recently returned to Australia and now finds herself just north of Sydney. Welcome Leah. Hi Brendan, thank you for having me. It's, it's really cool to be here guys. It's a pleasure. And as always we have Wei Yo, the Managing Director and Founder of OIC, the Cambodia Project, coming at us from Phnom Penh. Welcome back Wei. Thanks Brendan, looking forward to building your capacity today. Good. <laughs> we have three fantastic topics as usual. First, Wei is going to be talking to us about all the good buzzwords and jargon in development and hopefully some new developments and alternatives in jargon. Next, we're going to be talking about mentoring and how we can flip the script on how mentoring is done these days with Leah. And then last, we're going to be talking about how festivals can end global poverty. So Wei, what's the latest developments in jargon? Well, jargon is, is something that's a necessary evil in development, I think. Um, we, we did quite a bit of discussion around this on the wider blog a number of years ago, but we've never really had a participatory discussion to empower us to talk about jargon on Mission Creep itself. So I thought this might be something that we'd, we'd bring up as a topic to talk about and see whether or not we can you know, cut through some of the, the terrible language that we force people to use uh, to work in development. For example, a, a number of years ago, I had a, a document that, I was sent by a colleague in Cambodia and it said, using participatory approaches to encourage people with disabilities participation to serve their needs. This could bring the sustainability to build the capacity to manage their communities and also establish linkage with other stakeholders. And I'm a little bit baffled as to what that actually means, but I kind of feel like we force people in countries like Cambodia to use this kind of meaningless language in order to do many things, of which one of them is get money. So if you want to write a proposal, you've got to have these words sustainable in there. You've got to have empowerment. You've got to have gender balance. These buzzwords, you know, they're really hard to get rid of. Mm. I, I would love there to be alternatives. We did actually come up with a list of alternatives on the White Earth blog, but, you know, you still see these words every day. You still see beneficiaries. You still see capacity building. So, and I think the other thing, an interesting point for me is also, what's the new generation of buzzwords? innovative type buzzwords like design thinking and human-centered design and 3D printing hackathons and, and all this kind of stuff which is equally meaningless so yeah way I, I do agree I do agree that we use buzzwords quite prolifically in in the development sector and I think that it does have a, a place and a purpose in the sense that when we're writing official reports especially in in development where there are so many differences that using certain terminology is important to convey a message, but in the same instance, when we're using words that are often lacking in sort of real meaning and essence, in the example that you have given there where we're throwing around capacity building and sustainability, development, um, beneficiaries, it's, you're actually in some ways taking away from the inherent message that you're trying to portray and, and that in itself is is quite disappointing. But 
Yeah, I think we need to divide yeah. jargon into two columns. I think we need to divide it into the column that we can completely throw out and do away with and the column that we really need to not change but actually try and, you know, reinvigorate it. So for example, in the throw out column, you definitely have like beneficiary, third world, words like that, where there's no usage in them anymore. Whereas I think in the second column, you can have words like empowerment, capacity building. These are words that have like really strong meaning and, and at their root, they convey so much. They've lost that meaning. Like for example, participation and participatory. I mean, that's a really key word that has a lot of great meaning and when it's put into action is really powerful, but it's just been stripped of all of that. So how do we reinvigorate those words in the second column and how do we throw away the words in the first column? Well, I guess the question is also, if we replace the buzzwords with other buzzwords, will they also become equally meaningless over time, right? And I think um, you hinted, Leah, at some of the things that have been suggested. So we produced a report called the Participatory Capacity Development for the Empowerment of Aid Workers Literary Skills Report that looked into this. And there were some actually really clever suggestions that people had that we hadn't thought about. So, for example, instead of saying capacity building, you could say pumping up the volume. I really like that. <laughs> or uh, instead of saying beneficiaries, you mm. could say people. Wow, what an amazing concept. <laughs> or or in, instead of saying in the field, you could have said, <laughs> here's one, in denial that 3G is better in the project community than it is in the NGO's headquarters. But, you know, if we, if we stick all these, these suggestions in there, are we doing away with the concept of buzzwords? Or are we just creating more meaningless language? Grants and grant applications are always going to have meaningless words in them because you are speaking to a very particular audience. You know, you are speaking to those who are reviewing your grant and deciding whether or not you get a bunch of money. It's just how that, those words then seem to filter across into everything. You know, those words seem to then filter across into, into the comm stuff. It filters across into... Uh, how we describe projects to larger audiences. And if you can't do it in simple language, then perhaps you can't understand or perhaps you don't understand what your project is actually about either. And that's what really gets me about the buzzwords is that I think they conceal um, a lot that is inherently problematic with development projects in general because if we're not able to describe simply without buzzwords what our project is trying to do, in real concrete terms, then that's problematic in itself. So it's kind of, I see buzzwords as a cover for some of those challenges that we have. If we are relying so much on using these buzzwords to communicate a certain message, but as you've said, Brendan, in in a way that they're kind of masking the actual message and, Mm. and, and that is a problem. And I think, I think when it comes to using buzzwords and, you know, communication in general, to start is is to think about who the audience is and obviously in grant proposals you, you know you are appealing to a certain audience and hence people you know in their mind have a checklist of tick 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 if I say these words maybe that will give me ABC maybe I will get the funding that I'm desiring but in different communication spaces and avenues I think using buzzwords is highly isolating I think it actually takes away from educating and informing and empowering a wider audience who aren't 
educated mm. in the development and aid sector and you're essentially you know isolating them from the conversation and in that instance i think we really should be re- rethinking the buzzwords we are using because yeah that gatekeeping aspect of jargon is really significant isn't it that it does alienate mm-hmm. other people while keeping the power and, and and keeping the access to yourself and to those who are in the know and in the club where you touched on in a the, few in the club of those capacities being built you touched but you touched on a few of the next generation of buzzwords you know i think innovation disruption yeah. uh, hacking or hackathon or hack any variety of the hack thing are there any other um buzzwords that you've come across leah or way that we can yeah. add to the list well i i i don't like using the phrase next generation i find that a little bit uh too old school i prefer hashtag next gen personally <laughs> um <laughs> But anything with a hashtag, anything that you can hashtagalize is a good buzzword. So hack is absolutely one of the, the biggest that's going around. People love love the hack. They love to have hackathons. Disruption, I like, yeah. Just trying to think of some of the other ones. Human-centered design, design thinking, these kind of things that, you know, actually, to be honest, I don't really understand what they mean. Human-centered design in particular, I, I sort of feel like, isn't that sort of a very simple idea that we should always have been doing? Or maybe not. Maybe maybe that it is a very succinct way to say something that we should have been doing that we haven't been doing in development. I would like to see a grant application where kind of, you know, the paragraph boxes that they have where you have to write things. People end those paragraphs with hashtags. You know, so you, you give a little paragraph like <laughs> yes. describing your objectives of the project and then you like hashtag innovation, hashtag disruption, hashtag YOLO. Select the hashtags. Yeah. Select the hashtags that, that work best for you. Oh, I, I'm going to select intersectionality, uh, synergy, and value proposition for this particular grant. We laugh, but it very well may be. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe I'd like. Maybe I should do that on on the next job applications as well. That that either I apply for or that I put out there too. Must must hashtag with with uh, with, with skill with a plot. Yeah, or create that. Central criteria. Yeah, exactly. Or create the hashtag that best describes you. That's a clever one. Some (laughs) innovative suggestions, hopefully. (laughs) Yes. I was Mm. just thinking about, we were talking about grant proposals, and recently um, one of the uh, funding agencies here in Cambodia decided to put it out there for the first time that you can write these funding proposals in local Cambodian language, which I thought was amazing. Yep. And then... People, uh, organisations, a lot of them local, put their applications in. I spoke to all of them. Mm. I spoke to some of them, sorry. I spoke to some of them and not one of them did it in Khmer language. Not one. And I asked them why. And they said, well, we don't have words in Khmer that are the equivalent of these words, capacity building, participatory, stakeholders, blah, blah, blah. So we just don't have the equivalent. Now, I don't know whether or not that means they don't have the concept in their local language or simply that... They do have the concept, but it just can't be conveyed in a way which they think the funders want to hear. I just thought it was fascinating. Not a single person that I knew took it up. So speaking of speaking of jargon, Leo, you're going to be talking to us about mentoring and a new way mm. to approach mentoring that really flips the script and is innovative and disruptive. All of the above, experimental, go for it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I am. I'd, I'd really like to talk to, with you guys today about... Um, why we should listen to and include, you know, young people in 
in development, in our projects, campaigns, policy, development, you name it. But further to that, um, what we can learn from um, the youth of today and the benefits of having a young mentor. Um, I was, you know, I really started thinking about this concept after being inspired by an interesting interview in Dumbo Feather um, earlier this year. It was featuring Jen Owen, who's the CEO of the Foundation for Young People, and she made a statement and she said, anyone over 40 would be crazy not to have a mentor under 30 these days. And I guess this really got me thinking and considering, you know, the work that I've done in youth leadership a few years back with Oxfam, but more recently with some of my communication consultancy work with social enterprises and NGOs and small businesses. And um, I got thinking about what what the dominant narrative or conversation is out there with regards to young people. And in some ways, I, I do think that there's still this misconception that young people are considered too young to create real change, where age remains a fundamental indication of experience, of wisdom and, sadly, of value. I wonder if, you know, taking on what Jan says in that statement, if we can flip this misconception um, on its head by, you know, in, enlisting young mentors where the people of the older generation are learning from and engaging with young people today. It, mentoring is interesting because it, it really is so deeply rooted in that idea that your mentor has to be older than you. Like there, there's no, there's no text, there's no Bible that says a mentor has to be older than you. But that's just, that's just the given, common wisdom, and it, it really difficult for me to think about this, Leah, when you told me about this idea to conceptualize it. I, I did start thinking to myself, well, you know, what, how would a young person mentor mentor me? You know, how would they give me career advice, and how could I? Uh, discuss personal and professional issues with them of which they may not have any direct experience themselves and it, but it really got me thinking and, and that was a great first step because now I would really like to experiment with that and I would like to have a, a young mentor and, and see where the relationship goes and I but I imagine if you enter the if you enter the mentoring with that state of mind where you're open and willing to learn and share with this younger yep. person then it actually becomes less of a mentoring relationship and more of like a peer-based relationship where yeah. you, you get rid of that yeah. that hierarchy and you get rid of that power imbalance. Yeah, I think I think in development this is I was also really interested by this idea as well because it really did disrupt my thinking, particularly in the world of development, where experience is so sought after and it's so revered. And mm. you know, you can't get jobs unless you've got three to five years of experience working in country. And then I think that coupled with the lack of jobs in development and the competitiveness that young people are experiencing these days, and there's sort of this sort of reverence of, of people that have done their time and have made it in the development world and have worked overseas for a number of years. And I find that a little bit irritating because I don't think that that means a whole lot in, in many ways. Like, yeah, it's great that you've got experience, but there are other qualities that are innate characteristics that people have that aren't dependent on experience and age. Specifically, what sort of what sort of questions and what sort of topics do you think we should be 
asking these young guys, like apart from how to hashtag, what, what kind of things should we be getting info from them about? I would like to know how to whip and then how to nay nay and what those <laughs> words are and what they mean. That would be my first. I, you know, I think there is like having that cultural gap decrease because, again, in development way, if you're working with communities, particularly uh, on education or youth programs or, or really any program where you're dealing with a population that's younger than you, uh, if you don't have some sort of basis for understanding and empathy with them, then that can really hurt the project and the program and your interactions with the people. So just, I think, trying to bridge that that cultural gap and have empathy with the generation or the the, the next gen. Yeah, but you, you seem to do you seem to do pretty well on that front, Brennan, because you, you've got a pretty good knowledge of you know the, the what Nicki Minaj said last week and what Kanye is saying this week. These are things that I have no idea. About. So how do you? <laughs> Keep well, I just I try and I I try and keep my finger on the pulse, as I've said before, Ray, <laughs> and and visiting the karaoke bar regularly, and and you know trying to sing these songs and get in their head, and and um, mm. figure out you know who is Nicki Minaj really helps me, I think. But you mentioned um, that young people have these innate characteristics that you could learn from. What what are some of these innate characteristics that? that you think you could learn from in, in a young person? I think... How could you better? Mm, first one that comes to mind is fearlessness. You know, they're, mm. they're, they're more willing to like take more willing to take risk and think differently yeah. about things. You know, I, I feel like the older I get, and I'm not... You know, I just turned 32 last week. The older I get, the more stubborn I'm getting and the more set in my ways I'm getting. Your way. Yeah, and I'm starting to understand my parents much better as I get older. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, I have a contrary view to that. I don't, I don't particularly see university students and new grads as fearless. That's not the word that I use. In fact, I think, my personal opinion, young people that are in that in that bracket are fearful and quite risk averse. In my experience, mm-hmm. particularly the very gifted ones, because they're worried about many things, and and you would argue quite rightfully so. They're worried about things like house prices that are unprecedentedly high. They're worried about competitiveness and many other things. Um, when I said that they have innate characteristics, I didn't actually mean young people per se. I just meant okay. people. Yeah. So I, I just sort of, I, I just sort of don't agree with the idea that experience is everything that you need to, to have an opinion or a, a, you know, a view that people can learn from. But I guess one of the things that that potentially young people could do or could have simply by the fact that they are younger yeah. is um, a new perspective. Yeah. Maybe it's um, you know not maybe a new way of looking at something and, or an old problem looking at it in a new way and, and trying to brainstorm new solutions to old problems. I, I think there's, you know, I could rattle off a whole lot of reasons why I think, you know, having a young mentor would be greatly beneficial, some of which, you know, are probably self-inherent, but there's no harm in saying them again, but, you know, that open-mindedness, but also that open-heartedness that we've we've mentioned, um, that experimental nature, um, just that willingness to to really get out there and have a go, to try, to fail, and to try again, and to immerse themselves in in an environment, in a opportunity, in a project, and get their hands dirty. But I guess one of the ones that really sticks out for me is. Maybe maybe I'm agreeing with Brendan here with this fearlessness statement a little bit. 
I, I find it's a pretty broad general statement, but I think young people are more willing to to veer outside their comfort zone. And that's something that I've observed personally, you know, in my own life, but also through my work that with age, it, we do seem to start to get quite comfortable in our area of expertise and our ways of doing things over time that we're, we sometimes get a little bit limited by that and that unlimited perspective that a young person brings to the table would be very, very refreshing just to shake things up. This, this is why you're wearing flannel pyjamas at 7 o'clock at night. <laughs> that explains a few things so okay so let's say we wanted to engage more with young people and we wanted to learn from them and set them set them up as mentors and yeah. and flip the power dynamic what how do we go about doing it i mean apart from finding the right but finding someone who's under 30 um what do we actually how do we engage with them well we first need to start with a human-centered design approach to our project <laughs> We need to make sure we have the right KPIs in place, that our theory of change is solid, that we have participatory workshops where we engage with the young people and we hack, with them. We, we hack yeah. the problem, we try and design it. Uh, look, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where. I mean, we could go about it like we go about online dating and trying to, you know, facilitate matches for people who are interested in in giving this program a go, you know, could, we could run a little experiment, run a little pilot on a university campus. Um, I think if we can find willing older people to participate in this, I think that would be the real challenge. I think, I think young people would be really open to this, you know, the chance to be a mentor for someone that they admire and, and aspire to be themselves. I think they would perhaps not speaking for them, but I think oh. they would perhaps jump at that chance to be a mentor, but it's, it's, it's us way that I think would be the real challenge. Yeah, oh, that's what I mean. And that's, I think a lot of people <laughs> that are over 30 would find this idea quite challenging. Therefore, how do we break down the fear? I mean, how do we get common ground? Where's the common ground that we're going to start with, with these young people? If it's, if we're trying to make an equal power level, mutually beneficial, then I think an appropriate way to talk about it might be calling it mentors with benefits, right? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> sure. Get that domain name signed up. <laughs> I, I I know where <laughs> I know where we can source our young mentors from, um, and this is a good segue into our last topic. Um, as you are probably all well aware, the UN summit was just held in New York this past week, where world leaders agreed to seventeen new goals under the sustainable development goals. And at the same time, there was a very well attended, particularly by young people, festival called the Global Citizen Festival. And it was a very much a star studded event. Uh, the main attraction seemed to be Beyonce. And the global, the global Citizen Festival itself, though, apart from being a chance to see your favorite celebrities in action on stage, is to hold governments accountable, it's to raise awareness about issues uh, around global poverty, and to really mobilise young people. I mean, according to the festival website itself, it states that the idea is for the festival to serve as a critical lever for policy and financial commitments to ending extreme poverty by 20, 
30. I mean, now that might be a little bit difficult because there were recent reports that the World Bank is going to move the poverty line up a bit, which is actually going to increase the amount of people living in extreme poverty. Uh, but there was a really, really good article in The Nation that argued that the festival risks providing cover for corporations like Google, Unilever, H&M, and politicians. Uh, so what it was essentially saying was that the festival was very apolitical. It didn't talk about power. It didn't talk about people being dispossessed and marginalized by corporate interests, by private sector players, by politicians themselves. So it looked to subtract power from our conversations about poverty and about global development. And a lot of people have very strong opinions about the Global Citizen Festival. Some see it as a really important platform for mobilizing young people. Others see it as just a way for celebrities to get behind something that makes them look good. I think, look, I think on, on, the, on the basis of it, I think the people behind Global Citizen are, are extremely smart. They know what they're doing. You know, they're able to engage, and I use that in air quotes, engage young people, get them to take these online actions, and then go to world leaders and go to power players and say, hey, look at all these young people we have behind us, millions and millions, and then that gets them a seat at the table. So they've been able to access some really powerful people and put issues and advocate on really important issues because being able to, again, quote-unquote, mobilize these young people. So... Yeah, well, I, I thought I thought that you know it's I thought the article that you're talking about, which we'll link to as well in the notes, uh, was really good. I thought it was interesting. Um, it was an interesting discussion. It talked a lot about you know are we really focusing on the root causes of poverty, which are inherently political, and also are likely not to change anytime mm-hmm. soon. So, thirty, uh, you know, are we, are we really focusing on those things? And also by cuddling up with the bad guys. Is that really the right approach? And to be honest, I don't think anyone really knows. I think it's a problem with these kind of discussions is there's no one right way to do it. There's just a way which probably helps and then there's other ways which probably help as well. And I think this article was good because it did actually strike a bit of a balance between that. It said, look, we think that the general approach is good, but we would like the guys behind the Global Citizen Festival to focus more on xyz and focus on the real root causes of poverty instead of just glossing over it I, I, even with the sdgs sustainable development goals i think these things are really good inherently it's just how they're actually done that i have problems with and and this is again the same kind of thing with with this concert is that sometimes it seems like either we go too far with sustainable sustainable development goals every single thing that is could possibly be listed is listed so it's been described as a laundry list of unachievable goals. That's too much. And then, or we go too simple. So we say, let's end extreme poverty by 2030. I mean, is that really likely? But pe- yeah. People will argue that you can't communicate complexity to a broad audience, which is why things are dumbed down, which is why the global citizen has messaging like, let's end extreme poverty by 2030. I don't think you necessarily have to dumb down things so people to understand it. All you've got to do is get to the root, root message of what you're really trying to say and express that. Certainly doesn't need to be dumbed down. In fact, you know, we, we want to encourage intelligent conversation and debate and by dumbing things down, you you aren't informing and educating and empowering the people that 
that that need access to that information. Um, I, I do think that communication in in whatever format we're talking about and whoever the audience is at its core comes back to you know clarity and and really communicating with 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 clear language that people can relate to and connect to. And if if you're communicating with language that people aren't connecting with or, or aren't understanding or relating to on a on a sort of deeper personal level too, you, you've kind of lost them. And as something as big as the you know sustainable development goals, I, yeah, I, I don't. I would prefer to have yeah have those to reach for than not to have them. I suppose. Coming back to to millennials and the concert though. Um, you know, is it is it good enough? I think to to talk about stuff in in such a simplistic way, and, and say you know we can ex- end extreme poverty, but or, and is that is that not only uh, wrong, but is it also dishonest? Because if we were to do that in this time period, um, you know, like that would basically involve, as they say in the article, reordering the entire world economy. Yeah. And then there's also the problem about what would we do in terms of um, environmental consequences of doing this. So. Are we, are we setting millennials up to fail? I wonder this, this is a question. I think festivals are a tired form of uh, mobilisation. I think they've been done mm. to death. And also with just what underlies it, you know, the notion that to engage young people, we have to throw celebrities in front of them. We have to incentivize them with fame and with music and with, is that, is that all it takes? I mean, t- coming back to our conversation about young mentoring, like yeah. we, we have to give them a little bit more credit and not condescend and not treat them like the only thing that can incentivize them is Beyonce. Well, you're kind of reinstilling, you know, that generalised rhetoric that's out there, that demoral, demoralising rhetoric that, um, you know, why Jen are disengaged or disinterested or dislike hard work or have this sort of sense of entitlement and maybe spaces like that, you know, they're not setting up um, an environment for for positive change. It's, it's more setting in place this generalised idea about, about young people and the impact that they can have and not really valuing... Um, what we can actually learn from young people. And, and I guess you can't really learn from young people with, with a concert mm. or, or even a petition, right? which, is, which is a lot of what this is about. It's about signing petitions and, you know, put your name here. So I wonder, because Brendan, you said it's a tired format, why do we still go with concerts and celebs like Beyonce if it's a tired format? It's because they haven't had to go through a grant application process to really get to the centre of innovative, disruptive forms of advocacy where it's based on human-centred right. design. <laughs> they haven't had to go through the rigour of that. But I'm afraid that's all we have time for this week. I'd like to thank Leah and Wei for joining us on this very fascinating talk. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very much. Please join the conversation on Twitter, hashtag Mission Creep. Dev. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud, and we look forward to seeing you next time.